Hello and welcome to the Educated Art Review. I'm Madeline. I'm Anya. And today we have with us a guest speaker. Hi, my name is Mila Corvino. Whose specialty is in tarot and occultism and art history. So Mila, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So hi, as I said, my name is Mila. I use he, they pronouns. I recently got my bachelor's in art history. Woohoo, class of 2023. Yeah, I'm a tarot reader. I've been reading tarot since around 18 years old, but I've had a lifelong obsession with tarot. And I'm going to tell you how I got here today. And what are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be talking about tarot, the misconceptions behind it, how those misconceptions came to be, and the woman behind the first famous starter deck. So can you tell us what tarot is? Like, Give us a little bit of background. Tarot is a form of divination using cards known as tarot cards. It can help you tell the future or this can help with a personal problem. But tarot was not always a divination tool. Tarot was documented as tarocchi back in the 15th century of Italy. Tarocchi was originally a game played by the upper-class Italians, but it's really hard to pinpoint how the game of Tarocchi came to Italy or what it was called prior to the 15th century. Tarot researchers theorized that it came from the Silk Road when establishing trading routes with Asia. So it was a card game. It was a card game. Like a card game in the sense of gambling? See, that's the thing we don't really know. By the time tarot came around in documentation in the 15th century, it was already so complex and convoluted. Really? It was already, like, researchers theorized that it has already been established for around maybe 100 years prior, and they don't really know the rules of the game. All they know is the deck was split into the same way that it's split into today. The Major Arcana and the Minor Arcana. The Major Arcana are the cards that you normally see, like, probably all over Instagram and TikTok, like the sun, death, yeah. and tower. That is the Major Arcana. That shows about the fool's journey to self-actualization. And then the Minor Arcana, when you're doing a tarot reading about it. Those are like the cups and the swords. Yeah, yeah the and... cups and the swords. That shows more about your day-to-day -day life. Like, okay. you might get in a fight with a friend, or you might get fired from your job, yeah. or you might find $20 on the ground. You never know. So yeah, that's kind of what tarot is. Tarot used to be this game, and then it morphed into this beautiful form of divination that has been used for everyone. I love that it came from the upper class yeah, it was like a way to pass the time. And well, it was also a way to symbolize wealth. So back in the 15th century, really wealthy upper class families in Italy used to commission artists to paint themselves into the tarot cards. Oh, wow. So they would have the matriarch and the patriarch of the families, you know, the lovers. When we were in Rachel Miller's Baroque class, we talked a little bit about this female artist from Italy, and she would paint her and her family like playing chess, but it wasn't regular chess it was like 15th century chess was that the one of the girls outside in the yes. garden playing? yeah okay and like you in order to understand the painting you had to go through and read the rules of 15th century chess because it's very very different than the chess we play today but it's interesting that all of these games have just kind of come out of like wealthy italy and these italian families they would actually use these cards to play right yes that just sounds like a bad idea it was it was a bad idea because there's two decks only in existence from the 15th century well actually one of them is from the 14th century that is the visconti deck commissioned by the visconti family and then there is the solabusca which is where everything starts to get different okay so what is the Solabusca. Yeah, the Solabusca was commissioned by the Sola Berleone family. 
What makes this deck so different is, one, how it was painted. It wasn't actually painted. It was printed using copper paint printing. So you didn't have, like, all the oil paint just smudging. And that's why it was able to be passed down for around 400 years. But another thing that was so different about the Solabusca is, you know, in, you know, original tarot cards, they would use family members. The Sola Berlioni family actually used historical figures, like Helena of Troy, Nero, Alexander the Great, Polysena, Athena. Well, they called her Pallas back in the 15th century. But yeah, they used all these prominent political figures. And no one actually knows why, but this is just my little tidbit of theory that I added into my own paper. Because this was during the early Renaissance, this was most likely to promote humanist ideas about wealth and, you know, the upper echelon of knowledge and education and awareness of classical Greece and Rome. It makes sense because of all the classical sculptures, all of the buildings being built in these classical styles, like ancient Greco-Roman ideals. Yeah, and the Solabusca is also the first time to include an allegorical minor arcana. Okay, so explain a little bit more of that. So when the minor arcana and tarot decks kind of came about, you know, it would quite literally be cups. Yeah. Like a card. Yeah. But in the Solabusca, there would be people doing things within these cards. So like, let's say I used for my example, the 10 of coins, which in the Solabusca is a cherub, bunch of discs and a chest. And there's a cherub holding a 10th disc and kind of putting it in. And there's a dog guarding there is, we don't know because of the really kind of weird history about tarot. We don't know why the artist included that. I haven't really gotten a definitive answer, but he was the first to kind of include alchemical and occult imagery and seem with like classical philosophical references. So this was kind of like the first deck that inspired the very well-famous deck, the Rider-Waite Tarot. So when we say occult imagery, can you explain to us what occultism is and the sort of imagery associated with it? Oh, and misconceptions, because a lot of people get occultism wrong. Yes. So the occult is basically, well, I like to say anything falling outside of traditional religion, anything that's falling outside of the Catholic Church. So paganism would be a big example of what the occult is. What I mean by kind of occult imagery is he would include very cryptic kind of imagery where it would be like people in hoods or it would be very very dark scenes and no one really knows why there would be really dark scenes within the solabusca so was this an intentional mystification of the occult or was this a representation of the occult that then became mystified i'm going to be completely honest i don't know there's not really a whole lot that we do know about this deck just because the busca serbleoni family has just kept it very close to their chest Mm -hmm. they finally gave up the deck from their family and let like the museum of milan finally start displaying the original in all of its entirety in 2009 wow and this deck has been passed around the family for around i want to say like 400 500 some years amazing yeah a lot of people like think occultism means demonic or Mm-mm. satanic. Mm-mm. So can you explain that misconception? Yes. Yeah. So that definitely comes from the Catholic Church. I would say definitely like the Crusades with them discovering the quote unquote new world. They would start demonizing black bodies and they would start demonizing indigeny. 
the demonization of that kind of fairly came along around the same time in Europe, around in the 17th century. I think it's good to talk about how a lot of people think it's satanic because even now I'll go on TikTok and this woman will take her daughter to Target to go look at Barbies and she's like, you can't play with that, it's satanic. It's kind of like it's tarot transcended time. It's like it's moved on to other objects, but this idea of occultism and it's also been mixed with anti-Semitism. So everybody thinks that we do like these like blood sacrifices and are in black hoods and using tarot. Only on Saturdays. Yeah, only on Saturdays. And you have to be invited. And like we use tarot decks and stuff like that. And that's really not what occultism is. Even if I was talking to the devil, it's none of your business. <laughs> yeah. Like if I was talking to the devil, you really think I'd be sitting here right now? But yeah. So tell us a little bit more about like the change of tarot, how it went yeah. from a card game to like what we have now of people on TikTok telling me that things are coming my way. Yeah. This was essentially what I wrote my whole entire thesis on. So the demonization and the mystification of tarot happened around the 18th century. And it happened within two parts. So it was perpetuated by two men, King George II and Anton Court de Gabon. King George II in 1735 made all forms of conjuring, fortune telling, and witchcraft illegal. And so that was the Witchcraft Act of 1735. And then in 1781 in France, a man named Anton Court de Gablen co-wrote two essays on tarot in an anthology called The Primitive World, Analyzed and Compared with the Modern World, and stated it was an ancient tradition from Egypt, but he virtually cited no sources. He just said, oh, yeah, a friend told me and then moved on. And so because of that essay and because of how popular it caught on, King George II eventually ended up co-opting tarot into fortune telling, which made it illegal. And tarot comes from a form of witchcraft called cartromancy. And cartromancy is just doing witchcraft with a deck of playing cards. And the Romani would use that very much so. When tarot started becoming popular, the Romani started using, you know, tarot decks. And then that, you know, added to the stigma even more. I remember looking at paintings in the Baroque era of Romani women mm -hmm. who had the coins and the crystal balls and the tarot cards and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So it's always kind of been there. So when you say that's where tarot comes from, you mean when it had already come across the Silk Road in the 15th century? Yes. Okay. I think it like permeated from the Silk Road. Like everybody kind of took their own tradition of it. I'm pretty sure because I remember hearing some and like reading some things where it's like, yeah, tarot existed in China. And I was just like, I would like to look at that. Yeah, like I was looking on Wikipedia a little bit because you know how much I love Wikipedia just as like a little like reference point, And I couldn't get further than like the 15th century like there's no documentation whatsoever yes yeah, no there's there's literally no documentation you know there's like I Ching cards you know which kind of has been co-opted into tarot now I have a deck that uses some I Ching symbols and stuff it's really cool so tarot got co-opted into fortune telling kind of like just off of a whim not because people were actually using it as fortune telling yeah no so the misconception of tarot as an ancient tradition from Egypt has expanded so far because like you know there will be people today where it's just tarot has come to us from an ancient civilization from atlantis like it was blessed down to us by aliens or you need to unlock tarot to unlock all the secrets of the world okay let's start talking a little bit more about the deck that you specifically focused on yeah, yeah. you were saying that there's a woman behind it yes 
There's a woman behind everything, if you look hard. There's a woman behind everything, and there's a woman behind the cards. So what is famously known as the Rider-Waite-Smith deck? I refer to it as the Waite-Smith deck, or sometimes the Smith-Waite. So this deck was published in 1909 along with the Pictorial Key to Tarot. And the Pictorial Key to Tarot was written by a man named Arthur Waite, and the Waite-Smith Tarot deck was illustrated by a woman named Pamela Coleman-Smith. Pamela Coleman Smith was born in 1878. Okay, so we're about 100 years after King George. Yeah, we're around 100 years after. But just letting you know that the Witchcraft Act was still in place during this time. It was disbanded in 1951. So Pamela Coleman Smith, she was born in 1878 out in London. And, you know, she was a child prodigy. She was going around to Pratt, and then she was in Jamaica. But after both of her parents died, she decided to move back to London just because she needed to just be closer to some family members. And she met this woman named Ellen Terry and a very famous man named W.B. Yates. And one day, you know, when she came back, she started doing these things called music pictures where she would have visions while listening to music. We now know that as synesthesia. But back then, they did not know what that was. And they thought she was having psychic visions while she was painting. And they said, you know what? You're a psychic. You should join this secret society called the Golden Dawn. Okay, so that's like ominous. Like, Yeah. So the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was basically just a group dedicated to practicing ancient witchcraft and ceremonial magic. They had a very big emphasis on ceremonial magic. What is ceremonial magic? Ceremonial magic is basically, it's like what you normally think it is. It's candles, it's bowls of water, it's salt. And so, you know, this was more about like, their ceremonial magic was more about like trying to find their way to enlightenment. And I mean, the Golden Dawn is also just very problematic as well. They also believed that they were like aliens from space and everything, but that's a different thing. Author Waite was talking about how he wanted to make a rectified tarot deck. And he would talk to Ryder, who is the publisher, about it. Like, he'd talk his ear off about it for years. He's like, I'm going to make a rectified tarot deck. And Ryder's like, yeah, right. So he eventually comes across Pamela Coleman-Smith, and he hears about her psychic visions while she's painting. He looks at her artwork, and he's like, you know what? We should do this together. But I'm only going to pay you a one-time fee to do this. And so Pamela Coleman-Smith took on the job. And in her journals, she wrote this was a very big job for very little money. It made 78 cards with all different pictures. He made her do it over and over and over again. So the deck is split into two parts, like I said earlier, the major arcana and the minor arcana. Weight did not care about the day-to-day life. He thought the minor arcana was quite useless, actually. So Pamela Coleman-Smith put all her time and effort into, you know, making these cards just something really mystical and magical. She found the Solobuska, because the Solobuska, so we're tying it back in again, the Solobuska was on, was showing at the British Museum in 1907. And there was just photocopies of the cards and stuff, but she was looking through them And after Waite brought up this idea to her, she was like, I think I'm going to use this deck to do the tarot deck that Waite is talking about. So she used all the imagery from the Solabusca and then imagery from other cards as well to kind of create the minor arcana. But with the major arcana, Waite just kept on making her do it over and over and over again. There's like four separate versions 
within the Golden Dawn archives of the Minor Arcana, where there are slight changes, like slight changes to the color, slight changes to the facial expression. He thought the key to the universe is in the Major Arcana, into the self-actualizing journey. So that's how that came about. So she didn't get paid a lot for this project. No. And as somebody who I, I've had like a minor interest in tarot, I have never heard of this woman. So can you talk a little bit more about her and why we don't know about her? Oh, yes. There are many reasons why we don't know a lot about Pamela Coleman-Smith. For one, she was a woman back in the late 1800s to the early 1900s. She was a suffragette. So she used a lot of her artistic help to create the suffragette posters out in London. So I'm pretty sure if you see any old suffragette posters from London around in the 1900s, I'm pretty sure Pamela Coleman Smith had something to do with it. There were a lot of implications about her race as well. I've researched a lot into it just because there are some people saying, oh, yeah, 100 percent, she's black. Some people saying, no, 100% not black. She's white. She's cosplaying as a black woman. And then there are some people who are like, we just don't know. And I kind of fall into the boat of we just don't know. Just because, you know, I, I love hearing everyone's side. But what I do know is there's not a whole lot of documentation on her mother, which is supposedly where her blackness comes from, is her mom's side. All we know is she was living in Europe in the hundreds. And then all suddenly she shows up in the Americas, and then her family shows up in Jamaica. That's all we really know. There's not a whole lot of birth certificates. There's not a whole lot of death certificates. We do know a lot about her dad, whose grandfather was the mayor of Brooklyn. So there's a lot of mystery around herself. And during her heyday, when she was alive, there were a lot of articles written about her artwork where it would be like, oh yeah, Pamela Coleman Smith showed at the William Macbeth Gallery and her artwork is too whimsical and too imaginative. And don't you think that woman is that N-word? Like journal articles about her. She did speak on it once. So someone accused her of being Japanese and they asked her to respond. And she drew a portrait of herself in a Japanese portraiture style and submitted it and said absolutely nothing. I think she just did not want to talk about it. She's just like, I want to talk about my artwork. So what about Pamela Coleman Smith's gender and sexuality? Oh, man. So because she was a suffragette, um, there were a bunch of implications about like, oh, my God, is she a lesbian? Oh, my God, because that's the worst thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, that's the worst thing in the world that you can be. Her implications of her gender and sexuality have been along for a really long time, especially because she was hanging around the likes of Ellen Perry, who was openly bisexual. And they were rather close, very close, like moved in with her four months after she knew her. I'm not saying that she is, but... It's like U-Haul lesbian. A little bit. Pamela Coleman-Smith is a U-Haul lesbian and I love it. <laughs> so yeah, but like when she started getting involved more in the suffragette movement, that's where the implications of her sexuality were. They were just like, she's a lesbian. She's a sapphic. She's this. She's that. And so... Along with the culminating of her race and her sexuality, and then also on top of it, she would just never really get paid for her artwork. She got shuffled out of history. Her artwork would never get returned. Was it was in illustration and printmaking? She was in illustrating and printmaking. That's kind of a main reason why she would never get it returned, but she would also never get royalties. Like, she would have to fight. There are many letters with her cousins where she would just be fighting tooth and nail with these publishers to be like, hey... Remember those royalties you promised me? Can I get them? I think I looked at Wikipedia again. Love Wikipedia. Symbolist movement. Yes, that, she was that... very much a part of the symbolist movement as well. 
And after the 30s, that movement just kind of fell off. And she had a really hard time trying to get work. Wei obviously was making his money off of the tarot deck, and it seemed like they didn't really keep in contact. Was the tarot deck that successful? It was pretty successful around occult followings and Alistair Crowley and people who were really into witchcraft, but it wasn't until the 70s, so until like 20 years after Waite's death and also another 20 years after Pamela Coleman Smith's death, where the tarot deck really started taking off in the 70s. It came out of copyright and the U.S. gaming systems picked it right up and they started mass producing it, especially versions of Pamela Coleman Smith's deck. So can you tell us a little bit about modern tarot and specifically the monetary value that this deck has and why it's significant that Pamela Coleman Smith never had the rights to it or that her estate doesn't collect any rights anymore? So modern tarot has just blossomed and bloomed. Just because she died penniless with no children, she had a roommate named Nora, so it's not like she actually had an estate and she just didn't really get the rights to it. So we just don't really know what we do about the monetariness of tarot. As far as how much the deck is worth, I think by now it would be worth at least a million. Because it's everywhere. Do we still have the original deck that Pamela Coleman Smith designed? Yes, we do. I felt very ridiculous writing this paper (laughs) and just kind of writing it about a deck. But I feel like it's very important because, like, we see it all the time. We saw it in the 70s where it was really blossoming. There was the Aquarian deck and there was the Waite Smith deck and all these tarot decks kind of coming around. And it added to the culture of the 70s. It really does add to the culture of the movement. Even if we don't directly see it within art history, you will see people painting these kind of weird occult paintings and you'll kind of see that there's still an influence. Today, there is definitely more of a modern influence. I'm starting to meet a lot more artists now who, like I know a printmaker who is kind of trying to make his own deck and he makes a lot of his stuff inspired by tarot. We see how much tarot has grown, especially in a deck called the Modern Witch Deck. Now, the Modern Witch Deck came out in 2019 and was made by Lisa Sturley, a comic book artist, back in 2019. And these images in her deck are directly inspired by Pamela Coleman Smith's work. And it says so on her website. She said she wanted to make a more modern version. So... She includes more modern clothing, modern hairstyles. There's, I think it's in the Two of Wands, someone's holding a phone. Because that's all, the Two of Wands is all about like navigating your future. So she's opening up her GPS to look where she needs to go. And she decided to include more of a comic book style, more of a Pamela Coleman Smith style, very linear, very illustrator. And so another illustrator decided to take on the deck and do it more of a comic book style, which I think is really cool. You know, that tradition kind of carries on of illustrators. And now it's almost hit this cult following of like certain fandoms. You know, like the pinnacle of having a fandom is having a tarot deck. There's like Pokemon themed ones there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I can talk about one. Lisa Frank has a tarot deck. Oh, my God. It is so cute. I've been trying to find it on eBay. People are doing all sorts of things with tarot now. Tarot is no longer this dark thing that you should be afraid of. People are making it really bubbly and really light, like Lisa Frank. The Lisa Frank tarot deck is so cute. And honestly, I think it's a really great deck for anyone that wants a really lively, fun kind of reading. Tarot is really turning into something 
that is not just for the occult. It's for people who are also in fandoms. So when did terror resurface in popularity and when did Pamela Coleman Smith come into the limelight? So I would say tarot resurfaced in popularity around the 70s and people were really kind of getting into it with the real hippy dippy movement. But Pamela Coleman Smith, I would say, started coming back into the limelight around the 90s where people started researching her again. Rachel Pollock, she wrote a book about the 78 degrees of tarot and she wrote a little bit about Pamela Coleman Smith. There was another book by, I think his name is J.K. Frank, who was a tarot researcher out in Australia, and that was out in 2006, and he did a really big in-depth research into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and then into Waite's life, and to Ryder's life, and into Smith's life as well. He talked about every single person that was a part of this deck. So Pamela Coleman Smith didn't really start becoming popular again until, I want to say, the 90s, maybe even the early 2000s. And with the rise of TikTok, I want to say we started seeing her become popular again. I was just going to ask, would you say that TikTok and the COVID lockdowns brought yes. tarot out? It did, because the reason why I got so into tarot I said I've been reading since I was 18, but I'm going to be completely honest. When I first got into tarot, I did not know what the hell I was doing. One of the tarot readers, Light Wands, if you're listening to this, I would die. She made a video on Pamela Coleman-Smith. And, you know, she was like, this is the creator of the deck and no one really talks about her. So I would say TikTok has definitely helped tarot spring back to life in a new way. I mean, the Modern Witch deck came out a year prior before the COVID-19 lockdown which is a hell of a time to release it because it's super popular now. I mean, in most tarot readings that you see on TikTok, it's either the Waite Smith deck or it's the Modern Witch Tarot deck. Yeah. The Animal Crossing New Horizons of tarot. It is. (laughs) It really is. So if any of our listeners are interested in getting into tarot or learning a little bit more about tarot, how would you recommend that they do that? Oh, man, there's so many ways. I would say, first of all, pick up a tarot deck and sit there in utter confusion for however long that you need to. TikTok has some really great resources. I would recommend Light Wands. She creates some really interesting videos on how to culminate a question for tarot, how to read your tarot, how you can recognize tarot within your everyday life. I would say, you know, sit down with some books. Rachel Pollock is a really great author. She sadly just passed away, but her book, A Walk Through a Forest of Souls, is a really interesting book. Same with 78 Degrees of Tarot. Those were two books that I really used throughout my research writing this paper. If you guys have any questions for me personally on how to get onto tarot, you can message me on Instagram, the underscore mystic underscore m underscore tarot, and you can message me and I would love to help people out with understanding tarot. But yeah, honestly, it's all about culminating your intuition and listening to things around you, just enjoying the journey. That's really how you get into tarot. Every time I think of tarot, I think I need to be an expert in this. I need to know exactly what's happening because like, I just look at the cards and I'm like, that's a pretty picture. And that's valid. And honestly, tarot is all about telling you a story. I'm going to be completely honest. I've written a 25-page paper on tarot. I run my own practice. I've been giving readings since I was 18, 21 professionally. And I still get confused. I'll, I'll look at a reading and I'll be like, I'm going to be honest with you, babe. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're saying, but I appreciate it. 
And, you know, and that's fine. One thing I would also recommend is get a deck with the visuals. Get the Waitsmith deck or the Modern Witch deck. Get something with a lot of visuals on there because those visuals are telling you a story. Those visuals on the card tell you more than any other book can tell you. The book tells you, oh, this symbolizes this and this symbolizes that. But if you really look at it like it's telling you a story, you'll be able to get a lot more out of tarot. It's kind of amazing how it evolved from essentially like a card game that rich people would play when they got bored into this way to live your life. Into a TikTok phenomenon. Into a TikTok phenomenon. Explain that to the Medici family. Explain that to the Busca Cerebrioni family. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today, Mila. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Thank you. And confusion is sometimes the best way to get the answer. If you want to follow the Educated Art Review, check out our Instagram or TikTok at The Ear Podcast. If you want to check out any of the books mentioned in today's episode, be sure to check out Pip's book recommendations. All of the books are listed in our Amazon link. Thank you so much to Philip Allstadt for allowing us to record in his space, and be sure to check out his podcast, Beyond J. I'm Madeline. I'm Anya. And I'm Mila. Keep an ear out for the ear. <laughs>